So you just get back from the gym. You go on your phone and you start scrolling through your social media and you see everywhere, all over Instagram and Twitter and everything, people talking about the massive life-changing results they see with their special creatine supplements. And you think to yourself, you know, I've heard a lot of people from a lot of different places talking about creatine, but what actually is creatine? And does it actually do any of the things these people say it does? Well, because you're a listener of the science behind that, you came to the right place. So let's talk about the science behind creatine. Welcome to the science behind that with Atticus Hamilton. Hello, everybody, and welcome on back to the science behind that podcast. As you heard from the intro, we're talking about creatine today. But before we pop right into this episode, I just have to say, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I've been taking so many breaks is not because I don't like doing the podcast. It's simply because I hit writer's block. And I know that's kind of embarrassing to say, but it's true. I come up with three or four good episode ideas. I do those and then I hit writer's block. I'm like, man, what do I do next? So if you have any suggestions for episodes, you can always shoot me an email at thesciencebt at gmail.com with your questions, your comments, or maybe your episode ideas. And you know what? That would help me out. So not like you have to do it, but if you want to, that would help me out. Um, so I'm sure all of you guys have uh, heard about creatine at some point in your lives especially in recent years it's become kind of a a phenomenon you know there are people all over the place talking about the i guess the beneficial effects of creatine so today we're going to talk about a couple different parts of this so the first thing we're going to talk about is the actual effects of creatine like what does creatine actually do because there's a lot of misinformation out there so we're going to talk about what it actually does then we're also going to talk about the biochemistry of it a little bit because that'll help us understand what it actually does and we'll finish with a lot of the misconceptions about creatine out there uh, at the end of the episode so if you want to hear that and about how silly people are Uh, Stay tuned for the very end. So jumping right in, this was a fun episode for me to do because I got to do a lot of research and I found this literature review from uh, from February 2003. It was published in the Journal of Molecular and Cellular Biochemistry and it was basically a survey of 500 dedicated research studies on that that looks specifically at the effects of creatine supplementation on performance and training adaptations. And out of those 500 research studies, they took a look at 300 of them. And these 300, um, 70% of these 300 studies that they looked at specifically reported that short-term creatine supplementation had a statistically significant ergogenic effect. And so some of you are like, ergogenic, what the hell does that mean, Atticus? Well, ergogenic is basically any sort of effect that increases physical 
and mental and or mental strength capacity. Um, so in increasing the capacity for bodily or mental labor, especially by eliminating fatigue, right? So that's what ergogenic means. And so conversely, its partner word is ergolytic, which would mean decreasing mental capacity or physical capacity for increased strength, right? So something that's ergogenic would be like a steroid, right? Um, Trembolone is a horse steroid. Please, my listeners out there, Trembolone can make you gain 50 pounds of lean muscle, but ladies and gentlemen, do not use Trembolone, okay? It's become this massive thing on the internet for some reason. Well, the reason is because it can make you get huge and shredded. But ladies and gentlemen, do not use Trembolone. If you're going to use a steroid, do not use Trembolone. Trembolone is a veterinary steroid used for horses. And it destroys the liver, it destroys the kidneys, and the circulatory system. And a lot of bodybuilders that you know, we're using Trembolone are now dead at age 40. So ladies and gentlemen, please do not use Trembolone. But Trembolone is an example of an ergogenic uh, substance because it increases strength capacity. It increases or it reduces fatigue, etc. So an ergolytic is, again, the exact opposite of that. Anyway, so 70% of 300 studies reported that short-term creatine supplementation had a statistically significant ergogenic effect. And um, a, a good so that's a good thing, right? Because that's saying 70% of the studies that they looked at showed that short-term creatine supplementation does increase bodily strength and or mental strength capacity. Um and they also went to say that no study demonstrated an ergolytic effect. So no study showed that a use of creatine decreased strength or decreased over a period of time, which is also a good thing. So this means, ladies and gentlemen, that if you do want to start using creatine, you have around, at least from this, this uh, literature review, a 70% chance that with acute use or short-term use, your strength capacity will increase and you have a 0% chance that it'll decrease. So that's a good thing. Now, what was determined from this review is that short-term creatine loading increased uh, overall power, strength, muscular contraction, and sprint performance by between 5 and 15%. So that is a very broad overview of what supplemental creatine was um, discovered to, to actually do. So that is what suppl creatine supplementation will help you achieve, which I think is a good thing, right? So um, in their study, it was basically their short-term creatine supplementation was 20 grams per day for five to seven days. Or you can do a long-term supplementation of three grams per day for around 30 days. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So there are also studies out there that are showing that creatine may actually help with sleep, which would make sense, right? Because if creatine is ergogenic, 
it increases both body and mental power and strength. So there is evidence out there to show that taking it before bed does induce a much more restful night's sleep, but I don't have the literature on that specifically at the moment. So I don't want to give you specific numbers. All right, now we know what it's what supplemented creatine is supposed to do. So next we're going to talk about what is the biochemistry of it. You know, like humans produce creatine on our own. I mean, very poorly. We don't really do it that efficiently, but we do produce it. So how does that work? So there was a research paper here um, that was published in 1985. And I know this is old, but the biochemistry doesn't really change. And it was the Creatine Creatine Phosphate Energy Shuttle by Samuel P. Bossman, Department of Pharmacology and Nutrition at UCS um, School of Medicine, LA. Um, and this was actually really interesting. And the co-writer was Christopher L. Carpenter from the University of Texas Health Sciences Center. This was really interesting. So this talked about um, the biochemistry of creatine. And so creatine does a lot of things um, normally. You know, without supplementation in the body, creatine does a lot of things. And in the muscles, one of the things that it does is it stimulates oxygen consumption. And in a little bit here, we're going to talk about why that is. But it stimulates oxygen consumption in the muscles. But the interesting thing about creatine is that in an individual who is just like living life, creatine will come from a really unusual place because it's not coming from the liver. Because in the liver, the creatine is converted into a bunch of other molecules that are not able to reverse and convert back into creatine. So the muscles are actually getting creatine from the blood plasma, where it's being produced from periphery cells in the mitochondria. And therefore, in a, in a person who doesn't um, take creatine as a supplement, and in a person who's, you know, has a moderate intake of red meat, um, they are going to have around a concentration of 5 millimolar in the muscles and 0.5 millimolar in the blood. And what this means is that, relatively speaking, the endogenous production of creatine is relatively low. Uh, so it's basically enough for the vital function of the muscles, which we're going to get into. So in addition to stimulating oxygen consumption, creatine is liberated during muscular contraction, which means that it is one of the primary energy sources of the muscle during the contraction. So for those of you who have listened to this podcast for a long time, you'll know that I talked about muscles a lot on this show because I really like muscles and I really like bones. Um, and the way muscle uh, tissue works is basically um, within a muscle, a, p a piece of muscle, you have a myocyte, and then you have a myofibril, and then those are sar composed of sarcomers. And you have actin, which is bound to another protein called troponin. When calcium binds to the troponin, it exposes the active site of the actin, which binds to myosin which is phosphorylating ATP. And so 
when the myosin is phosphorylating ATP, it binds to the actin and basically contracts. Then when it hydrolyzes the ATP, the, the myosin, when the myosin hydrolyzes ATP, it creates ADP and then the muscle relaxes. And so what creatine does is it basically, it will bind to the actin filaments and it will facilitate rapid conversion of ADP to ATP, which allows the muscles to basically contract for a very long time repeatedly because it's accelerating the conversion of that ADP back into ATP. So how does this work? And this is where the biochemistry becomes really complex because there's two different types of creatine molecules basically in the body that are vital for muscular health. So in the muscles you have creatine phosphate and creatine kinase and both of these two do two different things. So let's start with creatine kinase because it's the simplest. Creatine kinase facilitates energy distribution and how it does that is creatine kinase will bind to the actin and it will react with another molecule which we're going to talk about right here but it will react with another molecule to allow the conversion of ADP to ATP in the process we just discussed. Now what does creatine phosphate do? So creatine phosphate is produced in the mitochondria and it from there it diffuses through the blood into the myofibrils and there it will bind to the MM isoenzyme of creatine kinase. And now you guys are like, what did you just say? What is MM isoenzyme? So MM isoenzyme is one of three isoenzymes of creatine kinase. There's three of them. Those are CKMM and CK is creatine kinase. There's CKMB and CKBB. And what did these do? The MM is to distinguish muscle-specific tissue, and B is muscle and bone, um, and then B is bone and blood, or bone and bone. Um, anyway, that's beyond the scope of what we're talking about, but there's three of these creatine kinase isoenzymes, and isoenzymes are meaning like there are enzymes that are really similar but have slightly different functions. And so there's three of these because basically these isoenzymes bind to different tissues and they distinguish um, which tissues are damaged and need repair. So what happens then is these uh, CK enzymes, so the creatine phosphate diffuses into myofibrils and it will bind to the creatine kinase, which if we're talking about muscle, is bound to actin. And those two together will facilitate the rapid conversion of ADP back into ATP, which allows for continued contraction. Um, and this is called the creatine, phosph creatine phosphate shuttle. Now, what else does this do? Well, sorry, I had to um, drink some coffee there. What else does this do? Well, it also does a lot. So remember how I said that the CK isoenzymes distinguish what tissues are in need of repair? 
they can also serve as signals to other cells like um, fibroblasts to repair damaged tissue. So they'll bind to damaged tissue, muscle for example, they'll bind to muscle and they'll basically serve as a beacon for your fibroblast to come along and form keloid tissue and repair that muscle. Now, Let's talk about the fun part, which is uh, creatine loading, right? Because now we know the biochemistry of what creatine does in the body, and we know um, the effects that are actually observed with taking it. So after six days of um, creatine being used at, um, in a loading phase, after a six-day loading phase, muscle creatine concentration increased at, by around 20%. And so this elevated concentration was ultimately maintained by taking 2 grams of creatine per day for 30 days. And so with the higher creatine concentration, what happens then? Well, as we saw previously, creatine increases strength, power, etc., um, ergogenic effects, right? And so having a higher level of creatine will increase the strength of the muscles, the capability of them to do work, and the overall size of the muscles ultimately. And the reason that is, is because at higher creatine concentrations in the muscle tissue themselves, repairs are not only being repaired faster, but also it's, it's giving your muscles greater strength. So if you're at the gym and you're taking, you know, cre- you've been taking creatine supplements for a long time, you're going to be stronger. And so you're going to be able to lift heavier weight. And that's going to cause more micro tears, which is going to rep- re- result in more repairs to the muscle, which is going to result in a bigger and stronger muscle. So that's how creatine makes your muscles bigger. And after cessation, after stopping creatine, um, the levels declined to the original levels that they were at. So remember how I said pre in, in a person who doesn't do creatine supplementation, they have a basal level of around five a five millimolar concentration in the muscles. That's what the creatine levels would decline to, whatever the person's basal creatine uh, production level is. So it's not... I saw on some, I think it was an Instagram post where someone was like, don't use creatine because it decreases endogenous creatine production. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no evidence of that at all. Um, in, In all the research that I did, there is absolutely zero evidence of um uh of that being a thing. So just just keep that in mind. There's a lot of um there's a lot of misinformation out there. So keep that in mind. Um but ultimately that's how it works. So to summarize them before we briefly discuss <laughs> the misconceptions and there are a lot of them, to summarize what does creatine do? Well, from a bio, from a, an endogenous perspective, creatine that's produced naturally in the body, what it does is it increases oxygen utilization. It increases the conversion of ADP to ATP, which allows for much longer and rapid muscle contraction. 
and it signals repair of muscles, right? So then what does that mean? It means, so then how does that relate to supplementation? What that basically means is that more creatine allows for much better, much faster, more efficient oxygen transport conversion of ADP to ATP and muscular repair, which has been demonstrated to in- increase strength capacity, power, um, weight, or ability to lift weight, sprint performance, and muscular contra- contraction by 5 to 15% in short-term creatine loading, which is around six days. That's significant. That is very significant. Now, um, is this exponential? Not necessarily. It'll plateau. You will reach a maximum creatine load in the muscles, um, uh, which I believe we already said was around 20 grams per day in in the muscle tissue. Um, And that's your maximum load. Um, But ultimately, that's what creatine does. Now, I feel like it's only fair that we discuss some of the misconceptions out there because ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of them and some of them are bad. Some of some of them, it's not good. So the first one I saw was that you can get creatine from plants, which is not true. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not accurate. If you can, it is not going to be chimerically compatible with the human body. Creatine comes from muscle. And the best way to get creatine from a diet is eating red meat and eating seafood. The best seafood for creatine is going to be your shellfish. So like lobster, crab, um, shrimp, and then um, red fish. So salmon, um, tuna, but I don't advise anyone to eat tuna because of the mercury. So like salmon, those fish, um, arctic char, the salmonoids are really high in creatine. Um And then another misconception I saw was that creatine is a good alternative for steroids and bodybuilding. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, this is just simply not the case. People um, who want to compete in bodybuilding competitions that are not like natural only... um, are at a real disadvantage if they don't use steroids. And the simple fact is that um, uh, a vast majority of the bodybuilders that you'll see, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Sylvester Stallone, Chris Bumstead, all those guys, they use steroids. Now, there are definitely a lot of bodybuilders out there who are truly natural, but in those situations, it comes down to genetics, genetic luck. Um, some people can get really, really shredded and get really jacked without taking steroids, and that is down to genetics. Now, that's not to say, oh, don't you know, give up, you'll never get there. That's not that's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying that because I saw a lot of people who are saying that creatine is a is an alternative to steroids. And unfortunately, if you're trying to be as jacked as you possibly can, um, it's not. It's really not. Because creatine will only increase your muscle mass in 
a relatively in a relative proportion to your body mass to what your genetics predispose which is why we saw 5 to 15% increase it's still a significant increase but it's not 50 pounds of lean muscle a day like trembolone gives but then again ladies and gentlemen steroids are not a good choice either unless you know bodybuilding is really what you want to do and in that case if you want to hear an episode on the safest steroids definitely let me know but steroids like trembolone you know you will get amazingly yoked but it will come at a cost to your liver to your kidneys and to your heart and so um Creatine is not a substitute for steroids when it comes to bodybuilding, but if you want to get bigger quickly, or I guess quicker, um, without using steroids, um, just for your own sake, it is a good option. And I, I think that more people should use creatine, especially if you're trying to meet an o- your own personal strength goal. Um, and, and and the last thing I saw was that creatine is bad for your heart, and um, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, I with with most of these misconceptions, I I can think of where it comes from, but with that, I I don't know where it comes from. I really don't. Um, and the final thing I want to say is um, there are a lot of confusion about what creatine is. There are some people who are like, it's a steroid. It's a synthetic substance. It's a sugar. It's an amino acid, um, so it's a building block of protein, which is why it's so vital um, for muscle development, because it's also a protein building block and actin and myosin. Um, but it, it's a it's a building block of 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 protein, and the organs that use creatine the most are the heart, the skeletal muscle, the smooth muscle, and the brain, um, and it's used in either metabolism or cellular structure. And so it's a, it's an amino acid. It's not a full protein. It's a building block of a protein. And it's not a sugar. It's not a synthetic substance. Um, and in all honesty, ladies and gentlemen, there are very few, if any, side effects of using around um, 5 to 15 grams of creatine a day. There's very little, and there's no evidence that um, has been deter- discovered that shows that it decreases strength. I saw one that says it decreases sexual health. Um, it doesn't. Okay, there's no evidence of that. So steroids do. That's a whole nother story. So, ladies and gentlemen, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I, you know, the main reason why I made this one is because there were so many misconceptions out there, so much bad information that I really felt like I had to to clear some of this up with science and with the science behind it. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to today's episode of the science behind that. If you ever have uh, questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can shoot me an email at sciencebt at gmail.com. I'll look through them. And sometimes if I get hate mail, I think it's funny to read it out loud. So, you know, that's funny too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I'll see you again all on Monday. Have a great weekend. And remember, stand up and question everything.